0: That was my kid, that was my kid that did, it, that did the scripture. I always like that, I was like, I'm like, oh. Um, all right, so I'm gonna tell you a story. And this is the story. Uh, it's a story about my friend who's also an author who has a mentor, and we're gonna talk about his mentor, okay? This mentor's name is Father Gillick. Father Gillick was out one day and he was uh, speaking to a group of students, third and fourth grade students. And as he spoke to these third and fourth grade students, he you know, was talking to them about God and about good things in life and so on and so forth. Um, and then finally, after it was over, a nine-year-old girl came up and started talking to Father Gillick and she's chatting with him and Father Gillick is chatting with her and, and, um, and all of a sudden the girl stops and the girl looks at Father Gillick and she's like, you're blind. And Father Gillick was like, yeah, I'm blind, yeah. When I was three or four years old, I, had, I got an infection in my eye and spread to my other eye and I lost sight, I'm, I'm blind. And so then Father Gillick started talking to this like, nine-year-old girl again and chatting with her, talking with her, but, but she wasn't responding and he was trying to figure out why, and all of a sudden, the, this nine-year-old girl just interrupts and goes, you don't know what you look like. <laughs> and Father Gillick's like, I have not heard that one before. I don't know what I look like, you know? And so Father Gillick's like, how do I explain this to a nine-year-old? I don't know what I look like. And he's thinking about this, right? And he's sort of trying to play it out before he says anything. And before he can say anything, this nine-year-old girl goes, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. So when I read this, all of a sudden my allergies came. There's lots of dust in the room. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And uh, the author, Chris Hertz, he talked about the story and the effect that it had on him too. And then he goes on to write this about the story. He says, when it comes to recognizing the truth of our own identities, most of us us experience a symbolic version of blindness that keeps us from seeing ourselves as we truly are. I think that's why the story struck me. A sense of blindness where I can't see myself as I truly am. So, the question that I have for us during this series, the question I have for all of us is this Who are we? Who are you? Who are you? What do you look like? What do you look like? We're in a time of Lent right now. How many people know what Lent is? Good, good, way better than first service. I'm, I'm proud of you all. Um, so Lent is, this, is uh, we, we follow the seasons of the Christian calendar, seasons that have been followed for thousands of years. And so uh, before Christmas, we followed Advent, where we're waiting, we're waiting upon the Lord, we're waiting for the birth of Christ. And then we just went through Epiphany, And in Epiphany, it's this time where the light is here, the light of Christ is here. And this year for Epiphany, we talked about the light of Christ through our series on racism and privilege. We said, you know, if the light of Christ comes to bring equity to our world, then we probably need to do the same. So we started a series on racism and privilege, and frankly, as a church, we will continue to talk about racism and privilege really for the rest of the life of our church. Okay? We want to make sure that equity comes, that systems are abolished, and that there is beauty, the light of Christ is reflected. And now... Now we're in Lent, and the big slogan for Lent, if we were gonna have a a Lent slogan, it would be like, Lent, you're going to die. (laughs) That should be it. Um, And that's the slogan that we have for Lent. How many people have seasonal affective disorder? Anybody? Where you need some sunshine, you get depressed when you don't have sun? I have it badly, yeah, and this is good because it's Lent, like, it's the time we're supposed to kind of uh, take stock of ourselves and get into the darker parts, the the, the more difficult parts of our lives, and that's what I want to do in this series. I want to focus in on us this series. I want to expose ourselves this series. That's what I want to do. So uh, I think the gospel is both systems, right? It speaks to systems, but I think it speaks to self. And so we've done a lot of work speaking to systems recently. We've done a lot of work speaking to the justice of community. But I want to speak to the justice of self, ourselves, right? So again, I ask the question, who are you? What are you? What do you look like? How do you identify? I think a lot of us identify by our outward appearance, Right? Outward appearance is a big deal. Our outward appearance generally will dictate the way the world treats us. We just talked all about this. Okay? And so if we identify as a black or African-American person or a Latinx person or an Irish person or a, a straight, white, short, stocky male, I don't know, whatever you decide to identify as your outward appearance definitely matters. right? It definitely makes a difference because these are the ways that we're treated within the world. I think orientation matters too. I think there are many of us in this room who identify by our orientation. So if we identify as being queer, that matters because the world treats us in such a way where that is still something that makes a difference in the way that we're treated, okay? That matters. Um, How many people identify with the place that they're from? That's a big one. I'm from New York, right? And so I like to say I'm from New York. I'm a New Yorker. My wife's from Philly, Philly. And you wouldn't know it, except that the Eagles won a couple weeks ago and she jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> so uh, that's a thing in our, in our marriage. Um, anyway, you just threw me off. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, no, there, uh, uh, Ashley Putnam was up here a couple weeks ago and Ashley... Uh, She said, you know what? I identify most of the time as a Texan, right? Which is something new to me. I was like, wow. I think we identify by where we're from. That's a big thing we identify by. Uh, And then there's everything in between, right? I think uh, we could say identify uh, as a fan of this sports team. I identify as spiritual. I identify as Christian. I identify as going to this church, not going to this church, not being this way, being this way. There are a million different identities that we have that we can take on. But let me ask you this question about your identity. How often... How often do you wake up in the morning? And when you wake up, you wake up and you say, I am beautiful. How often does that happen? (laughs) Not for me. How often do you wake up, furthermore, and say, I am beautiful? Not only I am beautiful, but I am loved. People wake up and say that. And furthermore, how many people wake up and say, I am beautiful, and I am loved, and I am an absolute miracle? How many people do that? I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to be spiritual. That's what they tell me. And I can tell you that in the five and a half years I've been a part of this church, I can think of maybe one time that I woke up and I woke up going, you know what? I am beautiful and I am loved by God and I am a miracle. One time. Because I don't believe it. And I think y'all are with me. I don't think we believe that we're loved. I don't think we think we're miracles. I don't think we believe that we are beautiful. I think we deny that in ourselves. And I think in this Lent season, it's time for us to figure out why we're denying that in ourselves because there's so much truth to the fact that we are loved, we are beautiful, we are made miracles, we are beloved. Oh my goodness, there's so much truth to that. In fact, our whole scripture, our whole gospel centered around the fact that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ makes us those things. And yet when we wake up, we don't believe it. So how do we get to a place where we can expose that? I want to read you some scripture. It's from the book of Psalms. Uh, Most people think that this was written by David. In fact, I'm not even going to read the original. My daughter did such an amazing job doing that already. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you um, maybe the way that David would write it if he was around today. Okay? David might say something like this. He might say, God, you are so great that I look up and I see what's unfathomable. There are universes upon universes and there are multiverses and we could spend a lifetime in space travel and not even get out of the far corner of our own universe. It's amazing. And I look around and I see that which I can't even imagine. I see humanity and humanity is a miracle Babies that babble are basically praising the fact that they were born, that they are miracles. We are walking, living, breathing miracles, and in order for us to even wake up in the morning, there were billions upon billions of atoms that had to move in one accord in our body, and if they didn't, we'd all be a fraction of a second from spontaneously combusting, and you made us this way, God." You made us in such a way that roughly every seven years we're a new body made up of new cells, parts, particles. We're miracles. And you make us a little lower than you. You give us dominion. You make us your beloved. How majestic is your name. That's what David might say if he was around today. It's pretty amazing, pretty beautiful. I want to talk about what David was. How many people have read about David in our scriptures? How many people have? A few of us, okay. David, I mean, he, he led this incredible life, right? He, and so we, we, David could identify as any number of ways. And I think any of the ways David decided to identify, they all could have been ways that would make perfect sense and could define him for a lifetime. He could have been defined as an underdog, right? He fought Goliath, David and Goliath. We still use that today. Could have been defined as the chosen one. He was chosen to be king. Could have been defined as a king. That's a really big deal, right? How do you identify? I'm a king. It's a giant one. David could have been identified as someone who was lonely and hunted as King Saul hunted him. David could have identified as being a rapist or a murderer, an adulterer. Those are giant things that define us for our lifetime. Could have been identified as a terrible father as he was. Could have identified himself as rich, which he also was. Could have identified himself as as an artist, as a poet, as a dancer, as a lyricist. All of those things he was. But how does David identify himself? I am an absolute miracle. I am beloved. I am beautiful. That's how he identifies himself first. And it's the simplicity of this Psalm that gets me. It's like, David, you were all those things and all those things are the ways that I would have identified with my own life if I was king or if I had made the mistakes that I made or whatever the case. And he looks beyond all that and he goes, Lord, how majestic is your name? Because I wake up every morning, I'm beautiful, I'm a miracle and I'm beloved. That's what he does. Why can't we do the same? Why can't we do the same? I want to hold David to the fact that he was like a murderer and a raper and an adulterer. Like, let's identify him by that, right? But he doesn't. He lets it go. King, I mean, I already said king. It's incredible, right? Just be honest. How many people want to be a king? You see the king of Norway? Have you seen the king of Norway at the Olympics? (laughs) This dude is just there having the time of his life and he's worth billions of dollars and he doesn't have to do anything. I want to be a king. I want to identify myself that way. But David doesn't. Why can't we identify ourselves as beautiful and beloved and miracles in God? I'll tell you why. I think there are three lies, three lies that we tell ourselves, three lies, three ways in which we identify that I think keep us from believing the truth about who we really are. And these are the lies. I think we identify ourselves by what we have, we identify ourselves by what we do, and we identify ourselves by what others think of us. These are the lies by which we identify ourselves that stop us from believing the truth about who we really are. And so when we talk about we are what we have, um, I go to therapy. Uh, therapy's a good thing. If y'all can afford it, you should probably go. I'm just telling you, it's good. Um, and so when I go, my therapist said to me, um, hey, Jonathan, who are you? Who are you? And I went, well, uh... I can, you know, I can afford uh, an apartment, I have that, I have a wife and children, I, can, I go on vacation sometimes, I can afford the experiences, uh, I have, and I just went on and on about everything that I have, and, uh, and, and my therapist said to me, you never told me who you are, you just told me what you have. Now conversely speaking, we also identify ourselves by what we don't have, don't we? Uh, if you've been to my wife's apartment, mine my, and my, 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 my wife's apartment, uh, <laughs> See, the Eagles thing is bothering us. (laughs) If you've been to my wife and I's apartment, you know that our kitchen's roughly the size of a bathroom, right? And so when we talk about our kitchen, we're like, oh, I wish we had a bigger kitchen. If we did, we could do so much more. And why didn't we buy a house seven years ago when we could afford it and all the rest? And now we have this tiny kitchen. And it's like we identify by by what we don't have as much as we identify by what we have, both of which tell us lies or keep us in lies about who we really are. We are what we do. This is giant in New York. This is how it usually goes in New York. Hey, what's your name? Where you live? What do you do? Right? In that order, generally. How many people are doing what they love? Good. That makes me really, really happy. Makes me happy because there's a little bit more security there that you're doing what you love. The truth is a lot of us aren't doing what we love, but we're identified in something that does not make us happy. It doesn't keep us secure, right? We are what we do as a lie. Uh, My parents, I know a lot of parents are away on vacation, but parents, some of y'all brought your kids to church today and you made it. Congratulations. And you made it to church and your kid might be wearing two different shoes and they might have thrown up on themselves and you might not have cleaned it up yet, but you're here and so right now, you're identifying as being the parent that got their kids here, and that's incredible, okay? Uh, as parents, when our kids mess up, when our kids do the wrong thing, when our kids, um, you know, get in trouble, whatever the case, that reflects on us. All of a sudden, my identity is in my child. What is my child doing? Because my child, you know, that's, that's who I'm raising. That's what I'm doing for, for that period of time. Some of us don't have kids, some of us don't have kids and we come here and we want to find a way, right? We have a passion that we have. We want to make that passion work. We want to make that passion a living. Right? But we're not doing it yet. Instead we're scrambling, we're hustling, we're fighting, we're trying to make it work and we can't quite make it work and all of a sudden we're doing the thing uh, we're, that we're not wanting to do while chasing the thing we want to do and it's this big convoluted deal that keeps us in the midst of a lie that says we're only worth anything if we're doing the thing that we absolutely love. It's a lie. And then, there's the failure. What are we failing to do? What have we failed to do? Failure chases me around. Does failure chase you around? Chases me around. What have I failed to do? Sometimes I don't even know what I failed to do. I failed to be like a pitcher in the major leagues. I don't even know, right? (laughs) I failed. But I identify myself by what I failed to do as much as what I do. And last but not least, the lie that we tell ourselves is that We are what others say we are, what others think of us. How many people have heard of Henry Nouwen? Anybody have heard of him before? He's a famous writer, famous author. Uh, He was a professor at a couple of Ivy League schools, also at Notre Dame. I mean, this guy was lights out. Great speaker. The books that he writes are are books that have certainly shaped my life. And this guy, you know, went all over the world traveling, talking about spirituality, talking about his books, and he gives it all up, and he starts taking care of... um, severely mentally disabled groups of people at a place called Layarch in Canada. He just stops and does that. And so Henry Now talks about how he went through complete and utter crisis. And the reason he went through crisis is because he went there and what he was doing, he went from like teaching at major universities to, to you know, dressing and feeding people. And he said, I went through crisis because the people that I was dressing and feeding, they, they could never pick up one of my books. They couldn't they could never get into one of the schools I taught at. They, they wouldn't know how to drive themselves or walk even to the place where I was speaking. And they can't validate me right now. So I change them and I feed them and I clothe them. Talked about the crisis that was. And it's a crisis because we're validated by what others think of us. We have an entire social media system set up to quantify people validating us, right? Through hearts and emojis and likes and comments, and so we sit there and we go, oh my gosh, i got this many comments or this many hearts or this many whatever, and we're like, I'm validated now. This is how I can identify because people have told me so and forget it if people talk negatively about us. I use this stat all the time. It takes us nine affirmations before we forget about the one negative thing someone might say about us. Nine to one. And so when we identify with what other people think, we are certain to not ever believe, not for a second, that we are beautiful and that we're beloved and that we're miracles. So what happens? How does this shape us? Um, Well, it just certainly shapes our personality, and you're going to love this. You know what the Latin word for personality is? You're going to be big fans of it. It's mask. Our personality becomes our mask, becomes a thing which we hide behind. Because we don't identify, we can't, we can't get to our true selves, we don't know who our true selves are. We're sitting there, we're going, I don't know who I am, I'm not beautiful, and I've, I have these outward ideas of who I might be, and so I have this personality, this mask, this ego, this false self, and I gotta present to the rest of the world that I know what's going on when really I'm a mess behind this mask, behind this personality. And the truth of the matter is these ways in which we identify, they're addictions. They are addictions, the thing to which we are beholden. And so, oh, who am I? Starts off as a good question. But then when we answer it by going, well, I'm, uh, you know, I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people think, that becomes an addiction. and No longer is it something we're beholden to, now it's something we're enslaved to. Now we just run the race. Now we're just like, I'm enslaved to this, and so I gotta keep this mask on. I gotta keep this personality up, I gotta keep this false self going, because these are the things that matter and we forget There is a God who says, I created you in my image. I created you in my image. Have you forgotten about me? I don't know what we do about that. We're going to try to do something, though. Here's what we're going to try to do. In this series, in our Lenten series, we are going to interact. We're going to start to immerse ourselves in something called the Enneagram. How many people have heard of the Enneagram before? Good, a lot of you have, this is exciting. So the Enneagram, it could be qualified or classified as a personality test, not great, that's not like a great way to describe it. Uh, It's not very binary, it's not like, well you do this and then you do this, Um, it's not like that. What the Enneagram does is not only does it speak to our personalities and ourselves, but it speaks to our spiritual selves and then it does the worst of the worst because it exposes ourselves for who we truly are. It exposes us at our core. It tells us some of the ways in which we've been putting on that mask. Tells us some of the ways in which we've been addicted and we can't escape the addiction. Now here's the beauty of the Enneagram as we continue to go through it and work through it and really try to find out who we are and identify ourselves as such. we know that this, this thing is not some like Western-white culture thing that's been used for the past 20 years. In fact, there's been some form of the enneagram in, in the world and the whole world, the Eastern world, all the world, really for the past uh, you know, few hundred years or so, which should be good news for us. It should be good news on one front, that regardless of who we are, regardless of where we came from, regardless of what we look like and everything else, humanity deals with an issue. And the issue is we do not believe we are made beautiful. We do not believe we are good. And so the Enneagram exposes that. And I know you all came to church because you wanted to be exposed today. <laughs> so here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna work on exposing ourselves in spiritual ways. If you're not on our mailing list, join our mailing list because tomorrow I'm gonna send you out two Enneagram tests. And these two Enneagram tests are gonna be important. One of them is a paid test. One of them you have to pay for. And this test costs as much as the vodka tonic you had last night, okay? It's not all that expensive, and it's way better for you than the vodka tonic you had last night, all right? So if you have the money to do it, if you have the money to buy vodka tonics, buy this, pay for it. It's gonna be comprehensive, it's gonna help. I'm also sending out a free one, because some of y'all are like, I don't even drink vodka tonics, I make my own at home because I'm broke. And if that's the case, then there's a free test too. And the free test isn't as comprehensive, but it's still one that's going to help. I want you to take the test. I want you to interact with it. If you're in a small group, great, interact. If not, follow us on social media. We're going to be uh, asking questions and interacting with this test all week long. All right, we're just going to get to a place where we say, this is who I am at my core. And this is who I am when I'm exposed. And this is who I am when I take off my mask. We're just going to sit with that. We're going to breathe with that. And we're going to do our best to remember that as we feel exposed and and unearthed and whatever it might feel like. Oh my gosh, we are made in the image of God. Lord, Lord, how majestic is your name for that reason. Then we're going to come back next week and we're going to spend time talking about the Enneagram again, talking about how scripture and the Enneagram fit together, talking about how we can continue to shed our false selves and bring about our true identity as people who are made beautifully and as miracles. So I'm going to Need some commitment. It's going to take some commitment. Some of y'all are here for the first time. Commitment. <laughs> and what I hope is this. I hope that at the end of it, we can write our own psalms. I hope that at the end, that we have a list of things that we could identify ourselves by. But we go back and we said, oh my gosh, we are nothing but miracles. Last thing. When we expose our true selves We expose the fact that we've been fighting against ourselves, against the way we've been made. Um, A lot of that has to come through prayer. A lot of it has to come through contemplation. A lot of it has to come through meditation. A lot of it has to come through listening to the Holy Spirit and the way it works. And so some of you might find that monotonous. I cannot pray, I promise you. If I try to pray out loud, I'd be like, Heavenly Father, thank you. Oh, there's a bird, oh my gosh. (laughs) That's how I pray. So it's going to be a discipline for me too but I think when we're sitting quietly when we're listening for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, that's when real change starts to happen and we're going to practice a lot of that. So I want you to join me in that, will you? And I want you to start by joining with me right now. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you just to, just to believe for today that you are beautiful. And furthermore, believe for today you are made in the image of God. And furthermore, believe today that you are a miracle. Now I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to sit in an attentive posture with an erect spine, sort of open up your chest a little bit, open up your heart a little bit. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you just to, just to say in your mind, I am loved. Just say that in your mind. I am loved. And breathe in. And as you breathe out, you can breathe out. I am loved. And come up with an image. Something that's comforting, something that that brings that joy to you, something that, that reminds you that you are loved. Whatever that image looks like, keep that in your head right now. Breathe in. Say, I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, flocks, herds, animals, wild, birds in the sky, fish in the sea, all that swim in the path of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.